It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Hi, friends. It's Vin Scully. It's time for Dr. Clapper. In sports, there's winning and losing and getting injured. That's why there's Dr. Clapper. Dr. Clapper is the former head of orthopedic surgery at Cedar sinai The Weekend Warrior Show with Dr. Clapper, presented by Cedar sinai Hey, Dr. Clapper. How are you? Saturday mornings from 7 to 9. Silence is golden when you can't think of a good answer. <laughs> yes, Doc, I love your show. Now, here he is, Dr. Robert Clapper. Welcome back, Weekend Warriors. Having so much fun. Talking about Kobe Bryant. Every time I hear his voice doing the promo for this show, I gotta keep playing that as long as I do this show. We're not just Laker fans. You could even be a Boston Celtic player. We are all Kobe fans. He bonded with all of us. And at eight fifteen we're gonna learn about bonding. Why? Because that sport of pickleball, which has taken over America, forces us, requires us to play with a teammate. And it's not as vigorous a sport, so as you get older, you can keep playing it. The baby boomers have embraced that paddle, wiffle ball, and tiny tennis court. But it's the relationships the players make amongst themselves with your partner and with the other team because you're so close to each other. And today's topic is all about the idea of making a friendship, bonding, the chemistry that happens. It made me think, I love the world of art, the world of sports, the world of surgery. Where did I see this bonding with a paddle and a ball before? Well, in 1971... In April, the United States had a ping pong team, and they played in Japan. The Americans were not allowed to deal with communist China since the Korean War. Two decades had gone by. But for whatever reason, the Chinese sent a ping pong team to Japan that spring. And we were there. The American team was there. And a 19-year-old hippie, long-haired, tie-dyed shirt, Jewish guy from Culver City, 19 years old, Glenn Cowan. This Meshuggah missed the bus to the arena. So he said, oh, the hell with it, I'll take the next bus. The bus he jumps on to get to the arena was the Chinese bus. They were stunned when he got on the bus. He sat down. Friendly guy, the only available seat. He sits down next to the best Chinese ping pong player who looks at him. The whole bus went silent. But guess what? They bonded. And when the bus stopped at the arena, they walked off the bus together. And every photographer for Time Magazine, for the New York Times, for Wall Street Journal, they were there taking pictures for the very first time in decades of an American with a Chinese athlete, person. And that opened the door to China. Well, the man who was on that bus, you're about to hear from him. Can you imagine? Talk about bonding. But this is the common connection. You got to find something, and it can be sports, it can be art, whatever it is, beautiful things will happen. 
时候。我非常高兴的呢，有这个机会，能够经历了一下啊，然后呢，这个是经历了一下，那就是说，打开了中美国外交，打开。But the secret is the intimacy of the ping pong table, the paddle, the ball, the teammate, the closeness. That's what's unique. To pickleball, to ping pong. This is me. This is you. This is Li Jingguang. Now we've reached our goal. Our goal is to win. The small table tennis is a tool for Liang Geliang to train the new generation of table tennis players. It helps them with their patience while playing the games. We'll hear shortly from Jane, who's directly involved in. A tiny little game can do wonders. Ah, 曾经这个啊，乒乓外交这个这个历史啊，大家都觉得啊，对于我们都是难以忘怀吧。啊，现在见的都相当高兴，都希望啊，乒乓外交历史是符合这个两国人民之间的这个愿望。国家的，哎，都起。Something as simple as pickleball can make a huge difference. What about in the world of art? Bonding to make a huge difference. Well, in the same year that the ping pong's happening, Gene Wilder's making a movie called Willy Wonka. Listen to Conan O'Brien talk to him about it. And with the new technology, DVD, so many kids are seeing that film now and have seen it over the years since the film was first made. How do kids respond to you when they see you now? Their eyes light up. Yeah. They don't say anything. Right. Just, I can tell every four and a half years I get a new crop. Right, right. Because the, the mamas won't let them see it until they're about four and a half years old, right. five years old. And then I walk down the street and I, I see the eyes light up like mm. that and um, they don't, they're too nervous to say anything most of the time. Right. Uh, those who aren't come and want to sit on my lap. But... Right, right. <laughs> he sees it in the children's eyes. The great Gene Wilder. You know, one of the things I, I love so much about that movie that makes it work for me, which is unlike a lot of a lot of children's movies, are afraid to have any menace. And Willy Willy Wonka, there is some there's a hint, there's some darkness in that role that you that you added to the character, and I think that probably scared some moms away when the movie first came out. It did because it wasn't a commercial success. No, which always surprised me when the movie came out. You know, people the movie didn't do that well, and I think it was because there's some scariness to it a little bit. The, the kids weren't scared. Right. The mothers were scared. Right. Right. They on thought, behalf of the kids. On behalf of the kids, but right. the kids knew it was a morality play. Right. Right. And where where do you draw the line? And they wanted the line drawn. Right. Right. The mothers were afraid of it. It has become a cult film because all those little kids that bonded with Gene Wilder are now grown-ups with their own kids who can't wait to take their kids to see it. But when it first came out, a little kid can't pay for the movie ticket. The parent has to. So it was a, I won't say a flop, but it was not a success. But now, it's a cult film. It's a major, major movie. I want to ask you about Young Frankenstein, which is easily、uh, one of the funniest movies ever made, and you co-wrote. You co-wrote this. You co-wrote this film,、uh, and and Mel Brooks directed the movie. And、uh, I only found out much later on that my favorite scene in the whole movie, and I think for many people their favorite scene, is when Dr. Frankenstein, you. Do the number, the tap, the tap dance number, putting on the Ritz、mm. with the monster, and it's so insane and so absurd. And I only realized later on, I guess, that that was your idea, and Mel Brooks didn't want to do it. Is that right? That's right. But here's about bonding, not just with a child. Gene Wilder's an expert at it, but with a peer, a co-writer. Here's the scene. If you're blue and you don't know where to go to, why don't you go where fashion sits? <laughs> That's a monster and Dr. Frankenstein in tuxedos, singing, putting on the Ritz. Crazy. No,、uh, I would write all day, and then he'd come over after dinner and look at yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, now we need a villain. The Burgermeister、right. isn't a good enough villain. We right, need a、right. real villain, and so on. And one night he came over and he looks at the pages and he says, "You tap dance to Irving Berlin, <laughs> right, right, in top hat and tails with the monster." Right, right. He said, "Are you crazy?" 
It's frivolous. Right, right. And uh, I started to argue, and then I argued for about 20 minutes till I was at least red in the face. I think it may have been blue. So here's where bonding, we learn a lesson. It's not always going to be easy peasy. But if the bond is strong, you can surpass any difficulties, any bumps in the road. And all of a sudden, he says, okay, it's in. And I said, well, why did you put me through this? Right. He said, because I wasn't sure if it was right or not. And if you didn't argue for it, I knew it would be wrong. But if you really argued, I knew it was right. That's actually an interesting technique. Well, so uh, if you hadn't, you know, if you just went like, oh, okay, whatever, I, I, maybe it is a stupid no, idea. But I, but I knew him well, and, and the, that is the only argument that we've ever had. I think the key to bonding, you're going to be married, you have a fight. But eventually you need to trust your partner and feel, well, you feel more strong about it than I do, then we'll do it. That's part of the bonding of one person to another. Yeah. Well, I think also it was one of the, for, you know, one of the earliest movies I saw that was a comedy where the acting was so straight and so sincere. Do you know what I mean? You're I believing do. in everything a thousand percent, and that's what makes it so funny. Eighteen You're, years of study, right, right, in order to, to learn finally, right, that the more real you can make a comedy, the funnier right. it's going to be, right, instead of making faces and doing funny sounds and all of that. You hear that? His philosophy, for comedy. The more real you can make a comedy, the funnier it is. For all of you who want to be writers, those no truer words are spoken than that. And finally, the Buddy movie with Richard Pryor, Stir Crazy, and all the other movies he made. They bonded on the screen, but not off the screen. Uh, so much great work with, with Richard Pryor. Mm -hmm. uh, and you guys seem to have this chemistry that doesn't come along that often uh, in, in movies. Did you feel the same way with Richard Pryor? Did I you did. feel it while you were working with him? From the first day. And yeah. uh, I'll tell you something, I, I, I don't want to be shocking you, mm -hmm. but it's a little bit like a, like a sexual chemistry. I mean, look, it's true. Right, right. I mean, right. you see someone and, and you say... Um, I really am attracted to that woman. Right. And someone says, but why her? This girl is much prettier. Right. She's taller, she's shorter, she's fatter, right. she's slimmer. Why that one? I don't know. I am. Right, I'm right. Just... And when Richard and I did our first scene, some magic happened, what they call chemistry. Right. Mm. And he improvised. I, I used to improvise in class, but mm -hmm. not in front of the movie camera. Right. And uh, I would answer him back and forth, back and forth. And... We are on such a, a similar wavelength, not in private life so much. Not in private life, but listen to him tell a story of what chemistry and the magic is on the screen. That's where they're bonded. You don't have to bond 100%. Pickleball, you don't have to bond 100% with that player. But you both love pickleball. That's something to share. Gene Wilder, Richard Pryor, it was when the, the cameras were rolling. That's when they had the bond. That's interesting. It didn't translate no, off camera. Uh -uh. He had his own world that he, he his friends and everything. Right. Uh, I wanted to more. But right. Anyway, um, I'm telling you that there was something going on. We, when we did that first big scene in Stir Crazy mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and tore the place apart, the prison. Right. At the same moment, we both started to hum, to sing. Ta dum ta dum ta dum ta dum ta dum ta dum. Laurel and Hardy. Right. right. And w when Sidney Sidney uh, Poitier said cut, I said, "Did you know you were going to do that?" And he said, "No." Did you know? I said, "No, I didn't." But we both did it on beat at the same time. Bonding, fostering relationships—the greatest pleasure a human being can get in art, in sports, in surgery, in medicine. Coming up next, we're going to talk to the great Stu Upson about pickleball there's more going on in this sport than the paddle and the wiffle ball it fosters bonding and that is why this sport is the fastest growing sport in america we're going to learn more about that bonding and about the sport coming up next on the weekend warrior show here on 710 espn
Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. This is Keyshawn in the morning. My man, Dr. Clapper, and the Weekend Warrior Show starts your Saturday morning. Join the doc from 7 to 9 a.m. But don't miss my show, Monday morning on 710 ESPN. What's going on, L.A.? This is Kobe Bryant. You're not going to leave me alone, are you? Start your weekend off right, listening to the Weekend Warrior Show with Dr. Clapper. The Grand Pooba, the Big Kahuna. Every Saturday morning from 7 to 9 a.m. on ESPN, 710, home of your Los Angeles Lakers. Welcome back, Weekend Warriors. I'm so excited. We're joined now by a master in the sport of pickleball, the great Stu Upson. Stu, thanks so much for making time to be with us. Hey, great to be here. How how you doing? All right. It's kind of a crazy connection between ping-pong diplomacy in 1971 and Gene Wilder making stir-crazy with Richard Pryor. But the connection is bonding of people, this, this ability to connect on some level with people. And I take it that's what's going on with pickleball, which you're an expert about. Teach us a little bit about what you believe is the reason it's taken over the country. Yeah, that's a great point. It's really two things, uh, and and the social bonding is is a key part of it. Uh, Before that, though, the sport is taken off because it's pretty easy to learn. Uh, It doesn't take much to get in to buy a paddle and and, and set up a court. Um, And, you know, if you have any athletic ability or hand-eye coordination – once you get out there on the court, in an hour or so, you're going to be able to play and not embarrass yourself. Mm. Now, obviously, as you get better and, and, and um, more competitive, the game gets more difficult. But unlike other sports, and I play golf and I play tennis, but you have to take hours and days and months and years of lessons to get adequate. Pickleball, you can learn it pretty quickly. But more important to that, to, the, to your point of social bonding, it's a very welcoming culture. People who play the, play the game, they don't say they play, they, they say they're addicted to it. It's almost a lifestyle, and they really want people to come in and join that pickleball lifestyle. Hmm. Come in and play and learn with us, whether you're a beginner or whether you're, you've been playing for 10 years, um, because it is a very fun, social, enjoyable experience. You go out there on the court for a couple of hours, you play a bunch of games, you get some good exercise. And that court could be at your club, it could be in a local park, could be in your backyard and your driveway. Um, but then you go and you know, then you go have a glass of wine or a beer and a cheeseburger afterwards and, and make friends. And uh, that's perfect for today's times when, you know, let's face it, the world's not so great right now. So right. any relief from that is, is a very welcoming thing for people. So, Stu, before we go further, I want to know who the hell you are. Where did you grow up? What did your father do for a living? What high school did you go to? And how did this enter your life, pickleball? Okay, yeah, I'm the, I'm the chief executive officer of USA Pickleball, and we're the national governing body of the sport. So, you know, we make the rules. We sanction tournaments. We, we, we kind of protect the integrity of the game, and our mission is to promote the game. Mm-hmm. Uh, my background, I, I've been in sports almost my entire life. I started uh, – I grew up in Connecticut, uh, started in the advertising business. I went to college in Southern California. I went to Claremont McKenna College. Oh, wow. And um, so uh, so I started in the advertising business, then got a big break and was able to work for Major League Baseball uh, back in the early 90s. And so my experience has been in all sorts of different sports, in, in baseball, uh, motor sports, uh, bowling. Um, and I was the chief operating officer of the International Tennis Hall of Fame prior to this that's uh, in Newport, Rhode Island. Hmm. So I've been the CEO of USA Pickleball for about a year and a half. Wow. And uh, uh, it, it, it's been a great opportunity because the sport is taking off. People give me credit for it, and I can't take it because the sport's taking off on its own. Hmm. Uh, so that's my story. I want to play a soundbite for you from nineteen, the player in 1971 who played ping pong with the American Glenn Cowan, but he's describing what is so special about 
a paddle and a ball in the case of ping pong. But I'm curious to hear what you hear when you hear this synopsis. The small table tennis is a tool for Liang Geliang to train the new generation of table tennis players. It helped them with their patience while playing the games. Tell me what you think about the bond between the two players that are playing as a team and how that relates to the people on the other side of the net and what you think about that soundbite. I think it's very appropriate for pickleball because to be a good pickleball player, to be a good doubles team, you have to have coordination. You know, The pickleball court is relatively small. Uh, it's 20 by 44 feet. Hmm. So, so to put it to uh, kind of make a comparison, you can fit four pickleball courts in the area of one tennis court, essentially. Hmm. So it really requires coordination. We're moving left to right back and forth from the, for a doubles team uh, and have that coordinated effort to be effective. Mm. Uh, so it's communication, but it's also practicing together and, and playing together for a long time. The best doubles teams are teams that have, have been doing it together for a while. Mm. And then compared, and also because you're so close to the team on the other side of the net, you're having conversations and, and you're, you're much, um, mm. yeah, you're, you're closer together. Um, but one of the philosophies of pickleball uh, is sportsmanship. Uh, and you see very little arguing of line calls and things like that. If someone makes a call, you just say, okay, good call, even though if you don't really agree with it. Mm. So then that kind of goes to the welcoming culture of the sport, fair play, sportsmanship, camaraderie. Uh, and, and quite frankly, the, 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 the closeness of, 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 of how close you are to the other players on the court is a factor in that. Before we go further, I want to give a shout-out to Jared Abrams, who was able to track you down, Stu Upson. You're constantly on a plane. Thank God he was. Jared was able to find you. I really appreciate it. Can you take us to the fascinating beginning of this sport and for people to understand where the name Pickle has nothing to do with a garlic pickle. It has nothing to do with a pickle. How it got started, who invented it, and why it's called pickleball? Yeah, it started in 1965, so it's really been around a lot longer than, than people know, because it's really become more popular in the past five years or so. But in 1965, on Bainbridge Island, Washington, right, right near outside of Seattle, uh, three families were together, uh, summer vacation. The kids were bored, probably being a little antsy. Uh, and and the and the families, the parents got together and said, "All right, we we've got to do something here." So they they found an old, I think, an old badminton net, um, created some wooden paddles. They had a wiffle ball, um, and just in their backyard, they created this game. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was a very local thing at, at the time. Um, but as again, it kind of goes to this whole bonding. It was a family bonding opportunity. Mm-hmm. That's how the, the sport was created. Mm-hmm. Probably because the kids were bored, but then it grew and grew and grew. And now the, now the name Pickleball, uh, it is widely believed uh, that the name of the sport was after their dog. One of the family dogs was named Pickles. Mm-hmm. So they just named it Pickleball. Nothing more complicated than that. I heard that the reason the dog got involved was because every time they went looking for the wiffle ball that they use, it was in the dog's mouth. And when they looked around and said, hey, what are we going to call this sport? They looked at this dog looking up at the ball in his mouth and said, might as well call it pickles. So they called it pickleball. That could very well be. There are lots of stories out there right. um, about that, and none of it has been substantiated. But you know what? <laughs> Who cares? <laughs> exactly. Now, can you watch it on TV? Can you stream it? Tell us what's happening in the media. Sure. There are uh, there are two pro tours. Uh, there's the uh, APP, the Association of Pickleball Professionals. And there's also the PPA, the Professional Pickleball Association. And these tours have been around for about three years. Uh, and it's, the interesting thing about these, these pro tours is they also include amateurs. Um, so I'll get to that in a second. But uh, all these tours, including some of our pro events at USA Pickleball, are 
are, are streamed or televised. Uh, we uh, at USA Pickleball we have a national championship series that leads up the series of events that leads up to our national championships, and all of our events are streamed on ESPN Plus. And our national championships, which take place at Indian, in Indian Wells at the Indian Wells Tennis Garden in early November, uh, that's on ESPNU. So, yeah, all these tours are, are out there on TV, whether it be ESPN Plus for the fans. Uh, I think the PPA Tour is on, uh, is on Tennis Channel. Mm. So there are lots of opportunities for, for people to watch. But on, in addition to that, you know, th- these tournaments will have – we have, we have an event coming up as down in Newport Beach, uh, in end of June, June 28th through July 3rd. It's uh, the Consumer Cellular USA Pickleball Newport Beach Championships, and it's at the Newport Beach Pickleball Club. Hmm. And we will be streaming that on ESPN Plus, but also fans can go and watch. And while the pros will there, we'll also have amateurs of all levels and, and ages, skill levels and ages participating. We'll have over 1,400 people playing in that tournament. Wow. Over five or six days. Oh, my God. Is there a Michael Jordan of, of pickleball already? Is there someone who just beats everybody because he shows up? Uh, close. There's one, one, one player. His name is Ben Johns, and he's ranked number one in the world. Uh, and, yeah, he has he, he is, he is dominated. He's a young kid. I think he's 23 years old. Um, but – We'll see how long it lasts. I mean, he's a great player, but as more and more people come into the pro game, uh, and some of them come from tennis as well, uh, it'll be harder and harder for for someone to dominate. But, you know, Ben is a great player. He's not super well-known yet outside of the pickleball world. You know, we don't have any pickleball players like, you know, Roger or or Serena, who people identify with Mm -hmm. just because of their their superstar celebrities. Mm -hmm. Um, We'll it's coming, though. Point, pick a, yep. Well, it's, it's coming. It'll take a few years. Stu, it's like a pickle. It has to sit in the brine for a while before it becomes a, a delicious pickle to eat. You know, it needs to ferment a little bit. So you don't want to eat the there cucumber right away. You want it to be a pickle. You want it to be fermented. Listen, I can't thank you enough for joining us. It's great to get the word out. But like I told you when I first spoke to you, there's more going on here than the paddle and the ball and the game itself. It's tapped into the size of the court, the intimacy, the relationship that you bond together to beat the other team. But at the same token, you're right next to your opponent. He's just on the other side of the net. There is a beautiful social thing. And boy, do we need that right now. So whatever I can do to help promote your sport, I will do. And I want to thank you so much for joining us this morning, Stu. Well, great. Thanks for having me on. Okay, my pleasure. The great Stu Upson and the great great game of pickleball. It sounds silly, but there's a lot more going on. And as you get older, you can embrace a sport like this. And I got to tell you, as an orthopedic surgeon, I'm not seeing uh, any pickleball injuries so fast. So I'm going to give it my seal of approval that it's a pretty safe sport for you to play. And eating a pickle before you get started may not be a bad idea. Coming up next... I'll take your calls. The number is 877-710-ESPN. But something fascinating happened in surgery this week, and it has to do with what happens when I've got to do the other knee or the other hip, because I did a lot of that this week, and I'll explain more. Coming up next, the number is 877-710-ESPN. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com.
Hey, it's John Ireland. You know there is no better way to start your Saturday than with the man who replaced Michael Thompson's hip, Dr. Clapper and the Weekend Warrior Show, 7 to 9 a.m. Saturday mornings. Don't miss my show, Mason and Ireland, back Monday at 1, all here on 710 ESPN. What's going on, L.A.? This is Kobe Bryant. It's time for Clapper Killies. Start your weekend off right, listening to the Weekend Warrior Show with Dr. Clapper. Where has this been my whole life? Every Saturday morning from 7 to 9 a.m. on ESPN, 710, home of your Los Angeles Lakers. Welcome back, Weekend Warriors. I want to do some Clapper vision. But before I do that, this week was particularly impressive for me in surgery because of the many, many cases, surgeries that I did, so many of them were in patients that I had already done their other knee, their other hip surgery, and now we're back for the other side. It happens way more than you think. Many surgeons like to do both at the same time, and it's just my opinion. It's not that it's wrong. In fact, Tony Danza, who calls in all the time to tell me how great he's doing, he's tap dancing on Broadway, and he's boxing again and running around. When I did his knee surgery, I did both at the same time. And uh, it's a lot to put a patient through. But you do get it over with. But I don't want to discount the effect. It is a big operation to do both at the same time on your heart, blood clots, all the things that are not relatable to the orthopedic surgery, they play into this. And that's why I take it so seriously and try in my best way to talk people out of doing both at the same time, uh, even though I clearly have done it. Sometimes patients will come and see me and they're literally in a wheelchair. They can't walk anymore. And uh, if I do only one, the other side is so bad, it will really influence the success of the first surgery. But that's rare. I'm a big fan of telling people it's safer. And here's the other thing that I will tell patients. You're so happy with the one that I did, the surgery that I did on your hip or your knee. The biology of the surgery, I'm going to now do your other surgery. It's the same. You're the same person. The incision, the healing, the skin, the tendon, the muscles, it's all the same. You're the same person. But get ready for when I do the second side for it to be easier for you. And they look at me and go, how can it be easier? I'm the same person. It's the same operation. But here's what makes a difference. Mentally, which is a huge part of recovering from surgery, you've been through it already. You know what to expect. The fear factor, the anxiety, the anticipation, the questions, how quickly will I be able to get up? How far can I walk? Can I sit? When can I ride a bike again? When can I drive? A lot of those questions are answered because you went through it already once. So the mental aspects of recovering from surgery are really gone now. You know what to expect. That makes it easier. And then the physical aspect. You have muscle memory of, yep, it's painful, but I'm going to get through it. You've seen the light at the end of the tunnel already, so it makes it easier. So having physically gone through the surgery makes it easier for the second side because you know you're not going to break it. I put it in stable. In fact, I love stuntmen and stuntwomen who are reckless. They don't wear a brace. They don't use crutches. They, They can't wait to start jumping out of cars. And you learn a lot as a surgeon from your patients. We learn how far we can push the restrictions from dealing with patients who don't abide by the restrictions. And you see what you can get away with. For years, when I did ACL surgeries, and I still do so many ACL surgeries in the knee, we kept you locked up forever, a year. Then Adrian Peterson came along and said, I'm going to play football again in seven months. And broke, almost broke Eric Dickerson's record the next year. Okay, maybe we can get away with more. You still can't cheat the healing that has to take place. You still can't alter the blood supply, which is ultimately what makes scar and heals fractures and heals surgeries. 
but we also know we can do a lot more quicker because we learn from the patients who are non-compliant. So the mental aspect of the recovery, been through it, it's going to make it easier. The physical aspects of the recovery, been through it, going to make it easier. You're not going to break it. You're not going to dislocate it. It's going to be swollen. It's going to be stiff. You know that. It's going to be black and blue. You know that. There'll be swelling in your ankle if you had knee surgery or hip surgery. You know that not to be scared about that. And the third and most important reason why the second surgery is easier. Because now, on your other side, you don't have pain anymore. Because I've already done the other knee or the other hip. And so I tell patients, this second side, the recovery, the whole enchilada, the, the oomph of the surgery and all it, the toll it took on you mentally and physically, this second side is about 60% of what the first one was like. So it's interesting how important the mental part of sports, of life, of surgery, being a doctor is combined with the physical aspects of it. And so this week, it's just awesome for me because it's really confirmation of doing well and doing the right thing by patients because I'm doing their others, they're back for more. And this happened over and over and over again this week. And it, I tell you, as a surgeon, it just makes you feel great because they're coming back. And then I tell them, uh, you're done. God only gave you two hips and two knees. You don't need any more surgeries. It's so different when I do shoulder surgery and upper extremity surgery because, yeah, they'll come back for their other shoulder. But to walk, that's a whole different joint to work on than the upper extremity. You walk with two legs. You don't walk on one leg. So there's talk about bonding. Your body is bonding the right side of your body with the left side of your body. And the subtleties, you know, it may be your little finger or your little toe. Go fracture it. Go injure it. And all of a sudden you'll realize how pervasive that tip of your little finger is. The tip of that little toe of yours is. You have an injury to it. Now you realize how everything participates in gait. There are 26 bones in your foot. Can you imagine? Why would you need 26 bones? You just need one bone. That's what happens when you walk with a peg leg. It's just one bone. You're not walking normally. To be able to walk over gravel and sand versus asphalt and concrete and grass and dirt, all the surfaces that we walk, and how about when you go take a walk and you encounter all of these variable surfaces to walk on in the same walk? That's why you have 26 bones. The connection between that tip of your little toe and your knee joint is very underrated. It's probably prescribed too much to put orthotics in your shoes. You know, every podiatrist in America thinks you, you need a, you know, an orthotic because that's what they can sell you. But on the other hand, they're right. Pronation of your foot, which is the curving outward of your arch of your foot and your foot pronation, puts a lot of strain on your knee. Sometimes it's as simple as making you wear New Balance sneakers versus Nike, where there's a better arch in the New Balance. You don't have knee pain anymore. It's very important to be recognizing, kind of like David Copperfield, the magician, right? He makes you look in the left hand where he's got all the action. But actually, it's the right hand where the trick is. As a surgeon, you complain to me of shoulder pain. You better look at their neck. You better look at their shoulder blade. Don't look at the ball and socket joint so fast. You have to be astute to recognize the interconnection between how these bones work. And speaking about Kevin Pillar, for example, and his dislocated shoulder and the fracture, 
it's fascinating to me as a sculptor of marble, the geometry, the actual shape of our bones gives it stability. The ball and socket joint in Kevin Pillar's shoulder, the ball, the sphere, fits so perfectly and intimately into the hemisphere, which is the socket. Even though it's shallow, it touches perfectly. Look at the bones in your foot and you'll see they're not marshmallow-looking, perfect cubes. Every single one of them has a, has a slightly different sculptural shape because they serve a different purpose for how they line up. The most underrated bones in your feet are called the cuneiform bones. There's three of them. They make up the arch of your foot. Okay, that's fine. They, the arch of your foot, you get it. But if you look carefully at the skeleton, the, the metatarsals, the longest bones in your feet, not all of them, but some of them go deeper into the cuneiform bone in the midfoot. You've heard about Lisfranc fractures. It happens in football players all the time. L-I-S-F-R-A-N-C. By the way, you know who Lisfranc was. He was Napoleon Bonaparte. That's right. That's how far back I'm going. He was a general for Napoleon Bonaparte's army. Because in those days... If you're in the army, you're riding on a horse. There's no Jeeps. There's no gasoline engines when Napoleon is around. So when you're in battle, you're sitting on top of a horse and your foot is inside the stirrup of the horse. Well, now you're in a battle and the other guy's trying to kill you, throws you off the horse. If when you get thrown off the horse, your foot is stuck in the stirrup, you fracture through those joints that connect your midfoot to your metatarsals. That's a Lisfranc injury because that's what happened to General Lisfranc. They made that diagnosis. In those days, they have no x-ray either. It's an amazing diagnosis, and it's a very serious injury. We have to put wires. We have to fuse the bones sometimes. But it's a fascinating part of your foot, the Lisfranc joints, because the metatarsals, not in all the areas, some of them indent into the cuneiform and connect them to make that solidity of the arch and the dome of your foot. Talk about bonding amongst people, today's topic. As a surgeon, I can't help but think about, and as an orthopedic surgeon, bones and ligaments and muscles, the intimacy, the friendship, the bonding, the working together of how your body works. Boy, did I go off on a tangent, Will Orms. How the hell did I get from <laughs> the way my brain works? Coming up next, I need to talk to you about what happened in surfing this week with me. Because I ran into someone, talk about bonding, that I used to surf with who ain't surfing anymore. Really broke my heart to run into him in the park. I'll tell you all about it. The number is 877-710-ESPN. You're listening to the one and only Weekend Warrior Show here on 710 ESPN. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, it's Sedano. You know there's no better way to start your Saturday than when my guy, Dr. Clapper, and the Weekend Warrior Show, 7 to 9 a.m. Saturday mornings. What's going on, L.A.? This is Kobe Bryant. It's the most entertaining thing in the world. Start your weekend off right, listening to the Weekend Warrior Show with Dr. Clapper. From schwitzing like a piece of tuna fish. Every Saturday morning from <laughs> 7 to 9 a.m. on ESPN, 710, home of your Los Angeles Lakers. Welcome back, Weekend Warriors. Every time I listen to those sound bites that Steve Paulette put together, it makes me laugh. Sweater schwitzing like a piece of tuna fish. What was I thinking? This week I went surfing, as I do every week. And after my session, I got on my bike and 
was riding around, and I end up in a park. And as I'm riding the bike slowly, just enjoying the sunshine, because I got up at 3 o'clock in the morning to get into the ocean before the sun came up. But I slowly riding, and I come across a guy, and everybody's got a mask on. But I look at this guy's eyes. I'm on a bicycle, no less, going slowly. And I've seen those eyes before. So I get off the bike, and I look at him. And now, because I've stopped, he looks at me. And I said to him, Ian. And he looks at me, and he goes, you're the doctor. I said, yeah, we used to surf together. In the 90s, in the early 2000s, big winter days. It was just scary. That's why I remember seeing those eyes. Probably mine were even scarier looking than his were. But we'd be out in the water together. And survived a lot of big days in Ventura. And he goes, yeah, you're the doctor. I go, Ian, where you been? I've been surfing. I haven't seen you in a years. And he said to me, I don't surf anymore. I said, why not? I got Parkinson's disease. He said, oh, my God, I'm so sorry. Yep, when I go to stand up, I can't trust it. How old are you? I said to him. I'm 63. And that's when I, I just, number one, I said, and I mean it. I hope he can come back and join me in the water. But, boy, you, you sometimes have to you lose something as a human being in order to appreciate what you have. Yesterday, in between my surgeries, I went down to a memorial service for a doctor who passed away, a friend of mine, Mark Alt. I love that guy. He also passed away way too young. He's only five years older than me. Cedar sinai is a building. That's all it is. But what makes it special are the people that I've gotten to bond with and work with. And I'm older, getting older and seeing too many of them retiring or, in the case of Mark Old, passing away. Such a sweet man and such a genius, such an awesome doctor he was. So you better cherish the bonds, the friendships. That's what today's topic is all about. And pickleball is a great way to appreciate it. And speaking of pickles, they're special to me because I grew up drinking that brine on the advice of my father. Trust me, if you want to make puckered lips perfect for kissing somebody, you drink that dill and cloudy water that the pickles have been fermenting in for months. My mouth is watering already because it's that delicious to me. I could hear my father saying, go ahead, Robbie. You're going to like it. Drink it. <laughs> Pickle juice. Are you crazy? And it's unbelievable how it will make your mouth pucker, but it's delicious. Forget about Gatorade. I'm drinking pickle juice. And the best pickle juice and the best pickles, and it gets cloudy, are Bubby's Pickles. B-U-B-B-I-E-S. I'm going to have Jared Abrams try to track these people down. And you can buy these incredible pickles at Gelson's. Oh, God, are they good. I don't care what you're eating with them. In fact, and you know what the best part is? Look at the jar. Look at how many calories a pickle is. You know how many calories it is? Zero. That's right. You want to be on a diet? Be on a pickle diet. All right, before I leave, let's talk about next week's show. Next week is going to be a special treat because I'm going to have a physical therapist as a guest. Coincidentally, his physical therapy place is called Warrior Physical Therapy, and we are the Weekend Warrior Show. But when Robbie Clapper gets hurt, guess who he goes to? Martin, and he's coming on board. I love Dave Fabrizio, and that's how I met Martin. 
two of the greatest, and Martin's going to be our guest. Martin Schneckenberger is my guest next week, a physical therapist. And it already made me start to think about therapy. I love art, I love sports, and I love surgery. Talk to me about therapy in the world of art and music. When can it be used as therapy? Well, remember Mr. Rogers? Wait till you hear his commencement speech for Dartmouth University, where he went to school, graduated in 1950. Mr. Rogers used, used music therapy and all those little songs that he wrote for children. But nobody could use language as therapy and music as therapy better than him. One of the kindest, sweetest people that graced this planet. So in art and music, therapy, how it heals people, Mr. Rogers. And what about in sports? Is there such a thing as sports as therapy? There is. There's a disease. I think Boomer Esiason's child has it. It's, it's, it's around in a big number in our population. And it's called cystic fibrosis. It's a terrible lung disease. And it takes the life of young people. More and more with transplants and other modalities, we're able to help. But there is actually a sport discovered in by Australians that helps the mucus, which is really abnormal in the lungs of people with cystic fibrosis. They get infections all the time. They can't breathe. The Australians figured out that surfing as a sport, being in that salt water of the ocean, is the greatest therapy for people with cystic fibrosis. And now all over the world, when you have a patient with cystic fibrosis, because of the Australians, we treat them with surfing. So sports as a therapy actually exists. Can't wait to talk about sports, art, and the world of therapy, which we're going to do next week. Until then, I leave you with Volari. Until next week, I'll see you on the radio.